The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I am just back, as a bunch of you were, from the All Church Retreat on the Frio River. Um, it, if that doesn't make you want to go on our next All Church Retreat, something inside of you is dead. So. <laughs> Dave Ramos makes amazing food for us as we soak in nature. I mean, it is, uh, it's a a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm back this summer from finally, after two and a half years, uh, reigniting our trips to the Holy Land. And by the way, um, this summer we're gonna be starting, or or in the fall, we're gonna be starting our trips back to Mexico City, which is also a life-changing trip. Uh, We had an amazing group. We got some photos of us just soaking in. These are the ladies as they get ready to pray at the Western Wall, um, eating great food with the chefs for peace. Uh, My favorite moment, um, this is at the Garden Tomb, uh, this beautiful empty tomb that tells us so much of the story of Christ. My favorite moment on the trip was swimming in the Sea of Galilee uh, with our group and with my family. And there is no place better than going out. My friend David has this small boat that he's hand built that's like a small boat from the time uh, of Jesus that he would have been fishing in. And this time I'd asked him, hey, could you find somebody that would catch us fresh fish and we could cook it on the spot? And we did, we found this Hebrew fishermen, and we fried fish on the Sea of Galilee, just like Jesus when he made breakfast tacos for his disciples. <laughs> and it was amazing. And, um, and at the same time, maybe you're in this routine as well, where I'm like, anybody else just glad to be home and find joy? Just me, I'm the only one. Just find joy. Anybody else find joy in just your routine now of like, I just getting up and having my coffee and cleaning and being like, hey, there's something to having a rhythm and a life and a job and a calling and a mission. And we have a purpose in this city. And that's part of what I want to talk to you about today. So I'm hoping that many of you, in fact, you can let me know. We did an amazing series, I thought, this summer. And we featured the stories of important women of faith in current life and church history. How many of you have been blessed by different women uh, that have been highlighted in this story, right? It's been, um, and it's one, I think Sean and I have both gone, this may be our summer series forever because we just have all these women that we get to share and highlight. And I had one I was really excited to preach about. And then in the Holy Land, I got to have a meal with a woman that I, I think she might be the most remarkable woman I've ever met in her life. And I thought, I need to share her with Ecclesia. Um, It's the third time I've been able to share a Friday night meal uh, with my dear beloved sister now, uh, Raina Quint. So Raina is uh, 86 years old. And I'll tell you a little bit about Raina. She's 86 years old. And just a few years ago, she celebrated her first ever birthday. You wonder like, how do you get to be 86? and finally celebrate your first birthday. Uh, Reina was born in Poland and is a survivor of the Holocaust. She is the only member of her family that survived. And only a few years ago did she find out her actual birth date. Um, Reina has a story that when you hear it, it just, um, it causes you to live differently. And, um, and so as best I could today, I wanted to share with you Raina's story. I, 
it had been four years since I'd shared a meal with her. Um, it had been three and a half, almost three years since we were back in the Holy Land. And uh, all of our friends there send you their greetings. They can't wait for those of you that haven't been to come. Um, and those of you that have been, they just talk about over and over. Um, we, um, we were back and my original dinner with her, her husband was ill. Uh, when you have a Shabbat meal, uh, the, the husband of the ho- house often comes out and does something called Kiddush. So Kiddush, it lets you know that, that Jews know how to party, just so you know. And they start with Kiddush, they bless the wine, and oftentimes the, the man of the house will drink the whole glass of wine at the beginning. And so if you start the, glass of the night off one glass in, you're letting everybody know, like, we're gonna have a good time. And, uh, and he offered Kadush, but he barely drank a little and then he was off to bed. And, um, and not long after I was there, he passed away. And Raina misses him desperately, truly the love of her life. And she told me when we came to dinner a few weeks ago, uh, she said, uh, you need to know my husband died four years ago and I had not kissed a man until he died. And she said, this week I kissed a man. And I'm like, this is getting deep fast, right? Like, <laughs> like you're 86 and I'm hearing about your love life and I'm, I'm like super awkward already. And Raina said, you know, this man that kissed me, he's really, really amazing and powerful. I, she said, he, he's so powerful. And I just thought, this is getting so creepy. And she said, do you want to guess who kissed me? And I said, I really don't, Raina. I don't like... <laughs> I don't really know what to do. And she said, um, she showed me a photo and she said, well, this man uh, kissed me, President Joe Biden. And, uh, and I thought, he's been doing that creepy thing all the time, right? Like, <laughs> like everywhere he goes, he's like kissing people all the time. Like old people, young people, babies, he just can't help himself. And, uh, but Raina was thrilled. She was, um, at Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum in, uh, in Israel. And uh, President Biden was supposed to pass by her. He was supposed to in the schedule of his time, and you can imagine when you're the president, and you're, especially when you're on a foreign visit, you're scheduled to the minute. And he was supposed to pass by and greet and not touch. Those were the instructions given. And like me, he saw this woman and he just, this woman is stunning. And you know what? President Biden sat down, all these other people around, and he talked to Raina for 15 minutes. Now the media there, they captured little parts of it and some of it's been shared and published because everybody was listening in. And many people wanted to know, like what, what did the president have to talk to you about? And that's part of what I wanna share with you today. And I think the president knew what I've experienced over some meals, that there are certain people that have lived certain kinds of lives that if you don't learn from them, you just feel like you're stupid, like you just missed it. And Raina has been through things that none of us have been through, and she's lived an extraordinary life. So I wanted to give her the opportunity to share with you in, your own, in her own words. But first, I wanna ask you a question that she asked me two weeks ago when I was there, and she'll ask here. I'm curious, I wonder, if you had five minutes, you're in your home, and you know that in the next five minutes you need to gather whatever you want to take with you and you may leave your home forever, what would you take with you? First thing that comes to your mind. In five minutes, let's start over here again. 
Five minutes, what would you take with you? Soccer ball. What else? What's that? Charger for your phone, right? Because he's smart. He's practical, right? Anybody want snacks? I mean, you got to think ahead, right? What else? Pictures for sure. Photos. Anybody over here, what would you take with you? Documents, right? So passports and things you might need to leave. A Bible, for sure. You're like, I need my Bible. Somebody at the nine o'clock was on us. They said wine. I need wine, right? Dogs, pets, right? Your wife. Good, good, good. Some people were very clear at the nine o'clock. There are certain people I will leave behind. Like, I'm like, okay, I get it. I, hopefully not your children. Anybody over here, what would you take with you? Journal. Wallet, medication, right? Things that you need. So Raina experienced this in real time. And it's one of her, it's in fact what she said, it was her earliest memory. One night in the middle of the night, there was banging out the raus, raus, schnell, schnell, and Germans came in and they had everybody coming down. They said, you can take whatever you want. You've got five minutes to leave the house. What would you take? Everybody took whatever they could. Some people took photographs thinking they're gonna come back. Some people took their jewelry thinking they could sell things for it. Some people took food. Some people took blankets. Some people took their babies and their old mothers. And we had to run down the stairs. We had to run down very, very quickly. The soldiers were yelling and, 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 and batting people with their heads with their sticks and with their guns. Many people fell and other people fell on top of them until we got out into the big square. And there, from there, we were beaten and we were herded like animals until we got to the synagogue just a few blocks away. I'm sure as a little girl, I was six years old at this point, I must have been holding on tightly to my mother and she to me and to my brothers. There was a door in the back of the synagogue and on the other side of the door, there was a man, and I believe he was my uncle, but I have no proof of that. And he beckoned to me and he told me to run. Maybe my mother pushed me, maybe God pushed me. I don't know where I got the nerve, the courage, but I ran out. How does a little girl leave her mother? It is impossible, it's just not natural for, for, for a little girl to leave her mother or for her mother to leave her. Somehow or other, I ran out. The soldiers easily could have hit me over the head, could have shot me, could have pushed me back. Maybe they didn't see me because there was such pandemonium there. There was such chaos. There was such fear and such crying. I don't know how it was possible, but I ran out. That was the last time I saw my mother and my brothers. I ran out from that door they stayed and they were taken to Treblinka, which is one of the extermination camps in Poland. So what Brena experienced was that her, um, the whole of her biological family at that point had been sent to Treblinka and quickly exterminated with the exception of her father and she believes one other uncle. They were um, like the few Jews that were allowed to survive. They were put to work 
They were working in a glass factory and she managed when she escaped. And most of us that have young kids can imagine like, what would it be like to be a little girl and take off through that chaos and violence on your own? She managed to find the glass factory and find her father and her father developed a plan to keep her alive. And it was basically that he would cut her hair and uh, she would become a boy. And boys were seen as useful if they were of a certain age and could work in the glass factory. And um, her father brought her in to work as a boy in the glass factory. And for more than a year, she worked in that glass factory and was protected and kept safe until um, the decision was made that even Jews there were going to be exterminated and they were sent out in cattle cars. She tells the story that her father had the wisdom to see um, that when they were brought to these camps, they were likely going to be stripped naked and everyone would know at that point that she was not a boy. And so he found a woman that became uh, the second of her ultimately six mothers that she experienced over the course of her life and asked this woman, would you just take my daughter and care for her? And as she makes her way uh, to the camp, she tells the story of how that happened. When we finally got to Bergen-Belsen and so many of the people had either been shot or just fell down and died along the way, we were brought into a big room and we were told, just the way my father had predicted, to get undressed. The Germans wanted to get dressed first because we were so filthy, so smelly, so disgusting after those terrible days in the cattle cars. So they wanted you to get washed so that they wouldn't be around such terrible filth. But the other thing is that if you had anything, they could confiscate everything that you had and they could give you some old dress or uniform or something like that. We had to get undressed. My father had given me some pictures. Those pictures were important. I was holding them in my hand. One of the soldiers saw that I was holding. Maybe he thought it was money or valuables or a diamond. He pried open my hand. He must have been very disappointed because they were just pictures of a family, of a mother and father and three children. Tore them up and threw them away. To him it meant nothing. To me it would have meant an awful lot because then if I had any pictures I would have known what my mother and my father and brothers looked like. And I don't. When we came out of the showers, the freezing cold showers, and this time they wore water, this woman dared to steal a black coat that somebody else had left there. We were shivering because we were cold, we were scared, we were humiliated. She stole a black coat. She could have been killed for doing such a dastardly thing. But she kept the coat around the two of us. The warmth of the coat and the body heat from the two of us, I think, kept us alive. Even though she didn't give birth to me, she gave me life at that point. I was with this new woman. I don't know how long I was with her because all of a sudden she disappeared. One day, I was very sick with typhus. It was smelly, it was disgusting inside the barracks. And I found myself, somehow or other, sleeping or being outside. I don't know if I went by myself or if somebody took me, but I was lying around with bodies. And I was lying out there, and something happened that day that never happened before. Soldiers came in, soldiers wearing different uniforms, soldiers acting very kind, soldiers who were throwing up. Nazi soldiers never threw up, 
but these were British soldiers. And they came in and they made an announcement in a strange language, which must have been English, saying, you're free, you're free as I fry. You can do anything you want. We are the British Army. We have come, we have brought you food, we have brought you medical help, you're free. What do I want to do? I don't have a mother, I don't have a father, I can't move. Typhus is the kind of sickness where you can't see and you can't hear and you have like vertigo, everything is flying. I was about nine years old at this point. Many people died, I did not. God meant for me to, to live. I think what I love most about Raina's story is this clarity, right? Any, anybody remember a time, and maybe you've experienced it in different ways, but I think every time a hurricane enters the Gulf of Mexico and it goes somewhere else, we all have a little bit of the survivor's guilt, right? Anybody, just me, or we like, like you just go like, I, I'm glad we didn't get it. I'm sad New Orleans did, right? But it also propels me into action personally. like. And I think our church, because we know what it's like to be on the receiving end. And we go, I'm going to do something about it. And Raina lives with this sense of like, I must have survived for a reason. And I'm going to do something with my life. And I think it's beautiful. And it's captivating. Raina uh, then was adopted by a mother who moved to the United States with her and had these great hopes. Uh, this woman, as best she can remember, likely lost all of her children, and somehow they were fit for each other. And yet, when they arrived in the United States, her new mom became really sick, and within six months died, and she was an orphan again. Can you imagine? Then, to be adopted by a childless Jewish couple that basically gave her a home. They, she's finally, she's had many, many, many names um, and many mothers, but she um, took their name, Quint. And she's now known as Raina Quint. And Raina lived a life in Brooklyn, New York that was a life of thriving. She made the best with what she was given. And I just want you to hear a little bit about that. And then I want to share with you three things that personally I learned from Raina. And I'm hoping as we look forward um, that they'd change us, um, that they'd make us different people. This is how Raina puts it. I speak to groups, and now I speak to many groups of different kinds, uh, different people, and I feel very strongly that what I end up with very much now is that we have to laugh as much as we can, and we have to love as much as we can, and we have to make sure that Israel is safe and free, this is our country, and that anybody who needs a place to come back to can have a place to be, go back to. We have an important role. Survivors are dying out. So people who I speak to, I sort of find that I'm asking them to be the, our ambassadors to speak and make sure that other people will be remembered. I feel very strongly that anybody who wants to hear about the Holocaust, it is my obligation to tell them. If you make a future trip with me, Raina's promised that her home is always open to us and she's sitting in her dining room where literally we can pull 20, 25, 30 people around the table and share life and meals. So I, I wonder, um, and don't you love how she just says, we need to laugh a lot and we need to love a lot. Like, how can the sister that's been through all of this have such clarity? So three things from Raina's life that I just want you to consider with me. And the first is really clear to me. The, let's look at the true value of our material possessions, right? If we were left to walk out in, in five minutes, would the things that we left behind really matter, right? I mean, ultimately for Raina, it's about a photo. It's about these things. It's about these memories. And most of what we spend our life accumulating 
ultimately has very little value. But what I would suggest to you, when I look at the projects that we do across the world, that the things, our money does matter globally. It matters. You know, we're able to feed people in Ukraine on literally, it's pennies of what it takes to bring a loaf of bread to people that literally desperately need it. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 6, and nobody says it better than Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, some people store up treasures in their homes here on earth. Jesus said, this is a short-sighted practice. Don't undertake it. Moths and rust will eat up any treasure you may store here. Thieves may break into your homes and steal your precious little trinkets. Instead, put up your treasures in heaven where moths do not attack, where rust does not corrode, and where thieves are barred at the door. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes on in verse 25 and says, here's the bottom line. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Don't worry about how you clothe your body. Living is about more than merely eating, and the body is about more than dressing up. Look at the birds of the sky. He says, they do not store food for winter. They don't plant gardens. They do not sow or reap, and yet they are always fed because your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are even more precious to him than a beautiful bird. If he looks after them, of course he will look after you. Worrying does not do any good. Who here can claim to add even an hour to his life by worrying? Ecclesia, I gotta tell you, the fact that Jesus in the greatest sermon ever preached on the mountain of Beatitudes looking out on the Sea of Galilee, the fact that he, he didn't even know, or he did because he's Jesus, but nobody else did, that the American dream would be a thing. And he explodes the American dream in this simple sermon and just says, if you think your life's about what you're going to accumulate, you are wrong. But what is true is that the things that we can accumulate, the wealth that we can create, can make a radical difference in the world. And that leads to the second point that's important in Raina's story. And I believe that we want to do, to spend our life and fight evil with all of our power. I gotta tell you, sitting in Reina's living room, knowing that there is a genocide currently happening in Ukraine, I haven't told you all the stories from my trip to Ukraine. I've debated based on the number of kids, how many stories to share. My therapist hasn't heard all the stories yet. But I'll tell you, we sat with a group of pastors that um, at one point they started to really weep. One of the ways you get pastors to weep is if we feel guilty that we've failed you. And uh, one of the pastors was telling a story about how frustrated he was with someone. They'd opened up their churches, right, to people um, in the East that have come to the West to flee because their lives are destroyed in the East and people are living in the churches. And they said, there's one guy who'll come in and he showers and he doesn't always shower and he's kind of a mess and he's drunk all the time. And he just, they just said, like, we're just fed up with him, you know. They said, until one of us finally leaned in to really try to figure out what was going on. And the reason that this man has vodka for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is because in his small village, he was charged by the Russians. Basically, he was the one of 70 people left. They executed every one man, woman, and child in his village. They left him to bury them all. And he's come to this small town and he has not, he's nothing. So he drinks. 
And I wonder, like, we live in a world where, and it's, you've heard some of these stories on the news, it's a little different when a pastor tells you and you're in Ukraine and you hear it, but you go, like, how do we, you wonder in these moments, like, how do we just sleep and get up and drink our coffee and do what we do? Now, I got to tell you, we got to keep living, we got to take care of our kids, and you need to wash your dishes and fold your clothes, and, and yet somehow, we have to rally what we have to make a difference. I'm blessed and I do sleep well at night, and I hope you do, because we're a part of a community that is doing a lot of good around the world. And so we've got a thousand loaves of bread from a baker that go out funded by Ecclesia every day. A thousand families getting a loaf of bread, which in that place literally can be the difference between life and death. But I always have this sense that we can do more. And my hope and prayer is that we would give all we have to fight evil with all our power. And then lastly, and you see it in Raina's life, just to be reminded, right? And let me read to you from Proverbs first, because this is a good verse. I, I, I love lists in the Bible, and lists especially that tell me what to do and what not to do. And this one in Proverbs is just really clear. Hey, you need to know God hates these things. Six things he hates. He hates it when people look down on others. He hates it when people lie. A tongue that can't be trusted. He hates people that kill, especially innocent blood. He hates a heart that conceives evil plans and feet that move towards evil. He hates those that, that are breathing out lies and anyone who stirs up trouble among the faithful. It's a helpful passage for me. These are the things we don't want to do. And then lastly, let's be a people like Raina that just choose joy. This is what I love. Joy is a choice, and this is the truth. If Raina's not a victim, then neither are you. So there's nobody at Ecclesia that gets to come up and go, well, you know what? I mean, Raina had it hard, but I had it harder, right? Anybody here ready to call Raina and complain about your life? I got her number. I have her cell if you want to call her, but you're going to feel stupid. Like, there, Raina, there was this time and somebody gossiped about me at work and I'm really upset. She's, are you kidding me? Right? You can't get over that? Right? She goes, do you know what I've gotten over? almost anything we would say, right? It would sound ridiculous. And that somehow, and I'm not demeaning what you've been through, and I'm not demeaning what I've been through. It's real to us, right? The pain is real. Many of you are here that experience loss and extreme loss. But what we are saying is that we can still choose to find joy in the midst of that loss. Now, I'm not telling you just buckle down and ignore the loss and move on. No, like talk to a therapist pray, get good friends to gather around you, like handle it properly, but also handle it and move forward in a way that we're a part of beautiful things that God is doing in the world. I preached too long, so let me bless the bread. Would you think about those things with me? Would you think about whether or not material possessions really bring you joy? Or if like Rana, if you had to walk out on all of it, maybe it wouldn't matter that much. Would you think about what it looks like for us to then pool those resources as a church? I would love to see our Ukraine fund triple and quadruple. I would love to see the things that we're doing in the world. And I believe it could. I believe it could really simply. That we'd be a people that say, we're gonna fight evil that exists in the world with all that we have. And then amidst of that, we're gonna choose to be joyful people with each other. We're gonna enjoy time in nature and good food and sunsets and great friends. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.